The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls it will grind him to powder. Some translations write, Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The question is, in the title of my sermon today, crushed or broken? In this verse, Christ compares himself to that great stone that was set as the cornerstone of the temple. And you may have read the story. It's written out in the Desire of Ages. A legend of the time when the builders were building the great temple of Solomon. Every stone was cut and quarried at a place far away from the building site of the temple. And with great effort was hauled to that site. And as the builders there on the temple site began to build, not a chisel, not a hammer was heard. But the stones were fitted together piece by piece, stone by stone, each stone in its place, until they came to the corner. The part of the building that had to be the strongest, that had to stand the test of pressure and time and, and weather, and could not crumble because it was a critical piece in the building of that temple. And they searched and they tried stone after stone. And there was this one stone that was an odd and irregular shape and they had kind of cast it aside. It didn't fit anywhere in the plans, it seemed. But when they came to this corner, they tried stone after stone, but not any stone that they could find would fit in the place. One might appear to work, but it would be too small or it would be too weak and it would begin to crush when they would try to test it. And finally they went back to this stone that they had cast aside. This great and irregular shaped stone that was good for nothing and found that it was the perfect stone to fit in the corner. Christ refers to this in this saying, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. But then he goes on to make an odd and perhaps almost seemingly contradictory statement. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. It will crush him. What does this verse mean? And how does this fit into the context of Christ's teaching of the gospel? I like choices when it's a choice between something that's good and pleasant and comfortable as opposed to something that's unpleasant and uncomfortable. It's an easy choice to make. I choose the good and comfortable route, right? But I don't like choosing between two seemingly bad things. I don't like to have to choose between being crushed or being broken. It sounds like two bad alternatives. But what does it mean and how does it fit into the context of the gospel? I want to take that last part of the phrase and look at it first. To be crushed. King James translates it to be ground to powder. The original word in the Greek, I'm probably slaughtering the pronunciation, but is likmao. 
It literally means to be winnowed, as in grain. Now, of course, in today's world, in our modern society, we have huge, vast fields of wheat and corn and barley, and we run combine harvesters through the fields that will cut the grain, thresh the grain, winnow the grain, and store the grain and shoot the chaff out the back of the machine all at once. It's kind of an automatic process, and we don't really think of it in our day-to-day lives. It's been relegated to a small sector of the economic industry. But back in the time when Jesus spoke, threshing and winnowing grain was a daily part of the lives, or a yearly part anyway, of the lives of virtually all of his hearers. They would take the grain when it was harvest time, bind it up and bring it to a threshing floor, a very hard surface that was prepared for the job. And then, with a large club, you might say, or perhaps with some oxen or even a, a, a cart, they would, they would use something to pulverize that grain. Well, not pulverize it, but to, to break it up and to break the grain off. And they call it threshing. And they break the grain off of the heads of grain and separate it out. But then it would be all mixed together. The straw, the grain, everything would be mixed together on the threshing floor. And so they would take, and then at various times in civilization, they would use different implements, perhaps a, a fork, like a pitchfork, or perhaps they would have a fan. Some, some societies used a, like a little basket that would be like a fan, and, or they would just use the wind, and they would toss that grain up in the air with this chaff, and the wind would blow the chaff away, and the grain would settle down until in the end they would be left with only the grain. So in this sense, this word crushed is literally the winnowing process where that grain is separated out from the chaff and the straw that blows away. Now, it is in a, a figurative sense because it's speaking of the crushing of the rock. It is a figuratively means to be crushed so small, so finely, as to be blown away or to be winnowed out with the chaff. Christ says, whoever falls on that stone will be broken. But when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. It will grind him to such a small powder as to be winnowed away. Luke chapter 3, verse 17, are the word, we find the words of John the Baptist when he was speaking of Christ. Whose fan is in his hand? And he will thoroughly purge his floor. That's from the King James. The English Standard Version reads this way. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. There is a subject in the Bible. that There are several, but this is one of them, which often today we try to avoid. It is the subject of judgment, the subject of God's wrath against the wicked. Many people today, good Christian people, cling to a teaching that we can call universalism. Basically the idea that God is so good and kind that really in the end, 
everyone is going to be saved. All of this talk about judgment and hellfire and, and all of this is just talk. It's just a kind of a scare tactic to get you to be, be good. But in the end, it's, ne- it's just play talk. It's not really true. That's what people will try to tell you. But as I read the Bible, if I take the Bible for what it says, I cannot believe that, that is true. Yes, God is love. And he is so loving. He loves you and me so much that he cannot endure for sin and the destruction that comes with it to continue for all eternity. And those who cling to sin will in the end be winnowed out as the chaff from the grain. One of the hallmarks of God's last day people is the proclamation of a special message symbolized in Revelation chapter 14 as a message proclaimed by three angels. What is the first message brought by the first angel in Revelation chapter 14? Who knows those words? Fear God and give glory to him. Why? For the hour of his judgment is come. My friends, the desert of the judgment is not something that's simply relegated to the Old Testament. It's not a scare tactic, but it is a fundamental truth. And quite honestly, my friends, it is crucial that we understand and believe in a judgment before we can even understand or appreciate the power of the gospel. Hear me, friends, what is the gospel? Paul says that the wages of sin is death. The premise of the gospel is that you and I, in our natural state, are doomed to death. Doomed to extinction. The Bible teaches that those who sin, who cling to sin, will in the end die. Now there are many who teach, even among Christians, that the soul of man is immortal. You know, it's kind of like what the serpent said to Eve in the Garden of Eden. You will not surely die. You will be as gods. But as I read my Bible, I find that the Bible teaches a principle about God's judgment. That the wicked are not burned and burned and burned and burned and continue to burn forever. But that the wicked are burned until they're burned up. Annihilationism. If you turn with me to Malachi chapter 4, keep your finger in Luke. But if you turn with me to Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we find that principle loud and clear. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, and all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, shall arise with healing in his wings, and you will go out and grow up like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Yes, it is a very solemn and sobering truth. But a day is coming when those who cling to their sins will be destroyed, will be crushed, and will be blown away by the wind. 
Jesus said in the parable of the wheat and the tares, in Matthew 13, verse 30, Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Yes, the gospel begins and is predicated on a stern warning, a warning of judgment to come, a warning that this great stone could fall upon you and you could be no more. Not because he hates you, not because of an evil vengeance in his heart, but as the natural consequences of your choice to rebel against your own creator. But what's the good news? What is the, what is the joy in this? Is there an alternative? Yes, there is an alternative. On the surface, it might seem that it doesn't look any better. On the surface, it might even seem worse. Because the alternative to being crushed is to be broken. What do I mean? Well, let's look into the meaning of this verse. Back in Luke. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. The Greek word that is translated broken here is synthlao. It literally means shattered. Imagine now if I had a, a ceramic pot or vessel here. If I held it up this high and dropped it, it would probably shatter into a million pieces. Now, it, it wouldn't be so fine as a dust. It would be broken pieces for sure. It would be shattered, but it wouldn't blow away. When I was in Africa, I was fascinated by the, the way that they would prepare the grain, the corn. And it's interesting, they actually imported corn from America, um, some expatriates, it wasn't the natives, but probably 200 years ago, to that part of Namibia. So it was American corn that they were growing. But they, they would grow this corn and uh, store it as whole corn. And when they came time to, to prepare it, they would take a large stone, maybe this big, you know, and set it on the ground, very firm stone, drop a few kernels on, as I shared, and then take a small stone about the size of you, that you could hold in two hands. And just using this pounding and scraping motion, almost like a mortar and pestle, but with just two stones, they would crush the grain, grind it together until it was kind of like the consistency of cracked corn, or very coarse cornmeal. And it took some time, but they would grind that grain. Now, if you, if you took that large stone and you dropped it on top of the grain, it would crush it to oblivion. But the grain that, was, that fell on that large stone, it was broken, but it was used. You know, I see a very fundamental difference between the crushed to oblivion grain versus that which was dropped on the stone and broken. You see, my friends, it seems as though there was value in that corn that was broken. But in order for it to be of use, of nutrition, for us to eat, it had to be broken. It had to be transformed from what it was, a seed of a corn plant, 
into something that would nourish a human being. We find in the book of Job, Job chapter 5 and verse 18, Job chapter 5 and verse 18, for he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. You see, sometimes God has to take you from where you are and break you in order to make you again into that which is most useful for his kingdom. In Leviticus 11, of course, we find there the uh, laws about the clean and the unclean. And it didn't extend just to animals and to meats, but it even included things in your household. If you had an earthenware jar or a vessel, now in those days they couldn't put a glaze like we have on most of our ceramic dishes today. So the earthenware vessel would absorb whatever uh, fell into it or whatever was stored in it. So if you had an earthenware vessel and a mouse or a rat or some other unclean animal fell into it and died, the law there that we find in Leviticus uh, 1133, if you want to read it. But the law that you find there is that you had to take that earthenware vessel and break it, shatter it in pieces because it was no longer fit to be used. And I, the question I have for you today is how many of us have some kind of impurity in our life, in our lives? How many of us in our natural state are fit to be servants of God? Or is it possible that Christ, in his love, must break you in order to make you again? Trials often are God's workmen to turn us from what we once were into what he wants us to become. And in fact, it is so necessary. It is the same thing that Christina was talking about this morning. To be born again. To be transformed when I come to Christ, not all put together, not all got it together, but broken, to be made again into what he would have me to be. Last but not least, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. I want us to look at something that Christ has done for us. Which will it be? To be crushed or to be broken? Isaiah chapter 53, speaking of the coming Redeemer. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That word bruised in some translations is translated as crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. My friends, listen to this. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who is himself the stone, was also crushed. He bore the crushing weight of your guilt so that you and I, though we be broken, 
though we must be broken, can be built up again. My friends, which will it be for you? There's only two choices. To come to Christ means to fall upon the rock, to be broken, to be humbled, to be emptied of all of our pride, everything that we ever once were, and yet to be made again into a new creature in Christ. But to refuse to be broken is to invite his final judgment, sadly, to fall upon you. There's pain either way for sure, my friends. But as for me, though it be hard, I would rather be broken, that he might heal. As we read in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he is torn, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. <laughs> 